Oh, church, uh, it is good to be with you uh, this morning. Um, I, have a, I have a hot take for you this morning. Anybody like hot takes? My hot take is, you can disagree with me or not, s'mores are a terrible dessert. <laughs> Horrible. I mean, <laughs> some of you are like about to walk out. My hot take, I mean, even in camping, oh, it is. And especially if you notice, Stephen, that was, that's my uh, youngest. Uh, he's four, but I have also other two other kid girls that are six and eight. And if you know anything about that, um, s'mores are kind of dangerous for them, right? You got to open flame, right? And then they don't know like the roasting method. So all of a sudden this hot flaming marshmallow is on fire and then coming towards their face. And you're like, as a dad, I freak out a little bit. But I just, ah, there's something about this um, idea that we are better together or like s'mores are better together when I would say, actually, they're better like separately, right? Like who just wants a graham cracker? Like who just wants the marshmallow? And who in your family is just eating the chocolate? I know you know some of those people. um, But I... I totally uh, just have held this for a long time. But then I got invited to a wedding. And at the wedding, you know how like weddings now are, are a little bit uh, bigger and, and better than maybe weddings before? Like you don't just have wedding cake as a dessert. And so like you're always as like an attender waiting to find out what the dessert is. Like at our wedding, we had an ice cream bar. So like ice cream sundaes, all the different types of ice cream, toppings. It was great. So we get to our friend's wedding in Austin and they have a s'mores bar. And they called it a gourmet s'mores bar. And I was like, you know when you put gourmet in front of something, it doesn't mean it's gourmet. Like, I can put a lot of gourmet in front of my cooking, and it's not gourmet. Like, let's just be honest about it. And But then I was just, I thought I knew everything I needed to know about. Because I've had experience around s'mores. I've done the burnt marshmallow. I've done, like, the melted chocolate. I've done all the variations, right? I, or so I thought. But I thought, I was like, I'm going to give this a chance. Everything that I know, I'm going to give it a chance. I walk over there, and can I tell you, they had 10 different types of marshmallow. What? I don't even know they make 10 different types of marshmallow. Like blue raspberry, salted caramel, like chocolate. I was like, what in the world? And then they had like 20 plus different toppings that you could put on it. And I'm like blown away. And they have gourmet like recipes that you can follow to make different types of s'mores. And so I go in there and I like just start making all these things. And I don't know, we've been talking about food a lot. And maybe that's just because like I love food and I love sweets. Um, but my mind was blown at the different types of com- combinations. And the thing that I thought about there and like we were walking away with our friends after the wedding was over. Then people were just like, what was your favorite part of like the, the reception? And everybody was like, the s'mores bar. And I was like... Me too. And they're like, they gave me a heart. I'm like, you hate s'mores. And I was like, I know. It's a super shameful moment. But there was this thing, this moment in that I realized is that I thought I had collected all the data points that I needed to in order to make the hot take that s'mores is a trash dessert. Um, but then I like actually got myself up to go in and participate in what all of the rest of uh, the, the people at the wedding, at the reception were doing. And all of a sudden, everything changed because then I went and I started to find uh, deeper knowledge about this gourmet s'more life uh, that I am just want to be a part of. It's changed my life that even when we go s'more, we go camping now, um, it's not just chocolate you bring, but maybe I'll like revolutionize your words. A Reese's peanut butter cup on a s'more will change your life. Oh, it'll change your life. And I think that's the truth. I mean, I think I'm not going to equate Jesus to Reese's peanut butter cup, but maybe I am, right? But the reality is, is that things are changed. When you just go, instead of like understanding data points about certain things, into having a deep, intimate knowledge 
or going deeper in your understanding about things, it changes everything. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Like, we don't want to, through this whole time together, talking about togetherness, to put data points on why to convince you that being together is what is best for you. We're not giving you data points. We're giving you as an invitation to be a community, to know your community, and to be known. Like, our invitation in this togetherness for you right now, whether you're joining here in person or online, is that our togetherness is not a data point, but it's an invitation to know and to be known. And so I want you to join with me, if you want to, uh, is to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139. We read the last part of it a little while ago, or last week, uh, but we're going to jump into the middle of it um, this week, um, or right at the beginning. So Psalm 139, this is verses 1 through 12. I love if we have it, it's uh, in your hand, to read it together. It's going to be also on the screen. So Psalm 139, verses 1 through 12, it says this, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit up or when I sit down and when I stand up, you know my every thought went far away. You chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment you know where I am. You know where I'm go- what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. Bo- you both proceed and follow me. You place your, your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to know. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the place of the dead, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me. Your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are both alike to you. Will you join me in prayer this morning? Father, my prayer this morning is that your presence, as we sang about it, would rest on us, would rest to our left and to our right, in front of us and behind us, that your spirit would rest on top of us, would be below us, God, but it also would rest within us. God, for some of us, we're coming in a place that feels like darkness. And I pray that that last verse of the psalm that David wrote, that darkness would be light to you that by your very presence walking into the dark moments of our lives, that it would bring light to our souls. God, I pray that we would seek you to know you, to find you, and to follow you. We ask this in your name. Amen. You know that first part of that text? You have searched me and you know me, oh God. Like, I don't know if that weirds anybody else out. Like, because I know my kids. Like, right? Like, I see them in their best moments. I see them in their worst moments. I see them growing, and I see them just falling apart. Like, I see them in every place that they are, and guess what? I still love them. Even 14 takes later on recording that video, we still love Stephen. Like, 14 takes. I don't know how long yours is. Like, maybe it's 12, and then you're done. Like, or maybe it's 21. But for us, it was 14. We're good that he got it on the 14th take. But seriously, like, we are known by God. Like, God in here, 
in this text, in Psalm 139, David is saying, God, you see me, you know me, and man, you still love me. Can you believe that? Like, sometimes we forget in a little context that Psalm 139 is way later than Psalm 51. And you're like, what in the world is Psalm 51? Psalm 51 is where David writes down a prayer of reality of his story. He says, man, I have just been caught in murder, in adultery, and I am the king of this nation. And I know the consequence of coming. And it lays it clear, like, God, if you'll take this away, but if you don't, I will accept the consequences of my actions. Like, and then in here. So that's Psalm 51. And then go all the way up. And this is one of the, the most intimate psalms that David has ever written. And it comes after the fact. Not before, right? David is at God, is a man after God's own heart. And this is where you can really see, like, God, he has searched me. He knows me. God sits, sits down with me on my left and on my right. Like, God is with David even after he is a murderer and an adulterer. God sees him and he knows him. And David rests in the truth that he still loves him. My kids, I pray that they know that when I see them in their best moments, as a kid after my own heart and after a heart of Jesus— when they're in the floor thrashing and throwing a temper tantrum and I can't get them to move off the floor of the grocery store and I'm just dragging them, right? Like, that I still love them. Like, that is the truth that we sit in here in this psalm, is that God, he sees you, he knows you, and he is absolutely and utterly in love with you. Can you just, like, hold that for a moment? Then when we talk about your togetherness, about being known, is that God knows you upside, downside, whichever way. And he still loves you. He still loves you. He knows you so intimately. He sees you and he loves you. And he wants to be with you. That's good news to me. And that should be good news to you. That in a known community, that you can come with all your baggage. David writes this with all his baggage of his life story. Man, I've been up this. I've been a good king, bad king. I've been um, everything that God wants out of a king for Israel. And I've been everything that they've not needed. And he still comes to the throne and to the presence of God and writes this psalm that says, I can approach a God who sees me, who knows me, and who loves me. And I want that for my kids. And I want that for us as a community to know that when you walk in here, you are seen, known, and you are still loved. No matter what baggage you bring in here. Secondly, it's one thing to know who God is, or to have data points, and to know about God. It's a whole nother thing to know God. Right? We talked about like that this, like earlier, like with my s'mores. I had a lot of data points and knowledge about s'mores and how to create them and how to do the perfect thing. But I didn't know the depth of goodness that was literally in um, <clears throat> s'mores. And that's the thing that I want for my kids. I want as a dad. Like, I want my kids to not know just a lot about me, a lot about what I do, about the interests that I have, about the things that I do. But I want them to have intimate knowledge about who I am. I don't want them to know about me. I want them to know with me. Which means I put myself in proximity to them all the time. I want them to know that, um, 
that I'm responsible for them, that God has ordained me to be their dad and to love them and to raise them in the way that he wants me to raise them. I want them to know when I mess up, I want them to hear me come to them face to face and ask for forgiveness, not just know that dad messed up and know dad did everything wrong, but he comes and he shares that moment with me to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I need to hear, I don't need to just have them watch me pray, watch me read the Bible, watch me engage in faith and in teaching. I want to do it with them. It's one of the things that, that was a conviction of our life that if we ever go, if I ever go speaking in a conference or church or camp, that my kids will go with me. Because it's not something that daddy just does and does. It's who he is and who we are. I don't want them to know about me. I want them to know who I am. And the same thing goes for for God. Like, I don't want them to be here in a church and know, like, church starts at 10 a.m. And then they have responsibilities, maybe on Tuesday and other days. I don't want them to know and just put on their calendar all the things that it means to religiously follow Jesus. I want them to know intimately about who God is. God, he doesn't want you to just show up check the box off, and then go home. I know too many people that know a ton of things about God, but absolutely do not know God. And you know how I know this? It's because we, and I'm talking about myself too, I'm preaching to myself, is that we do this in in our life as well. Let me give you some advice. If you know a lot about someone that you're in a relationship, but you don't continue to know them, your relationship's going to fall apart, right? If I know a lot about my wife, but I don't know my wife, guess what? That's when the separation starts to feel and it becomes like a chasm where we feel like we're so far about, but I know everything about her. I know her schedule. I know what she's doing. I know my kids, like all these things, all the relationships. I know everything about them, but the distance is so far because I don't have intimate knowledge about them. Can I give you that piece of advice? The in relationships that you have with one another, the more you know about them, the further you are from them. The same thing can be said for God. The more you know about him, what he's like, that you can describe his character, his comings and his goings, his from start to history to the end, but you don't know him, your relationship with him has a distance and feels vague, unreal, unsatisfying. And easier, the further the distance gets, the easier it is to walk away. I mean, how many people that you are in relationship, friendship with, not even have to be romantically, but the time you stop spending your energy getting to know them by being in proximity to them, <clears throat> is the way that it begins to end. That is the beginning of the end, is when you transition from instead of knowing someone and knowing about them. And so church, what are we we doing? What are we doing when we come to a place of saying, we're going to be a community that's together, that knows not about each other, Right? Like, I'm wondering in this room, like, even me, like, as we're getting here and, and starting to say, like, that newness of us being here, of me being here, wears off, that we can stop saying, I know about you, or I'm just new to saying, like, that time of that just knowing about and getting to know me, the knowing about is over, and now it's time for me to know you. 
Church, like I'm saying to us, the time is over where we know about each other. And the time has begun when we start to know one another. So how do we do that? What does that look like for us practically as a church? Well, I think it just happens so naturally in, and can be summed up in God's great commission. And I'm going to put it, I'm going to summarize it and then we'll read it real quickly. Plain and simple. You can't know somebody, you can't love somebody you don't know. You absolutely and utterly can't love somebody you don't know. It's impossible. Like, God says that he knows us. And that word that often is used to say he knows you throughout Scripture is this intimate relationships. Like, right, it says that when, like, Abraham knew Sarah, it sounds like, hey, I know she's my wife. Like, he knows her intimately, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Like that is the, the, the description of that word known, is that there's an intimate physical knowledge consummated in the relationship. And as God is saying that I have intimately known you, and David is saying like, I, God knows me. He has an intimate knowledge of me. We cannot love those that we do not know. God loves us because he knows us. He's, and he says that, like, really, we talk about this a lot, but I want to dig into this a little bit more. Matthew chapter 22, verses 27 through 39, or 37 through 39, says this. We've, we've heard it before. You've probably heard it. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Have you ever tried to love somebody you don't know? It is pretty impossible. It is really hard. You make fatal errors all the time, right? Different assumptions about who they are, what they like. Loving someone means intimately knowing who they are. And so church, as you pursue loving God, as you pursue loving your neighbor or one another, as we like to talk about it here, you cannot love if you do not know. With, we said it with God. You cannot love him if you do not know him. <clears throat> this is the difference between religiously practicing Christianity and being a disciple of Jesus. The disciples weren't religiously practicing their relationship with Jesus by just walking where he walked. They intimately sat down for meals. They slept next to each other. They walked miles and miles together. They talked. They learned. They were explained things. They saw things that they could never dream or imagine. And they were to love Jesus because they knew him. And then they took that. Jesus left. And said, now do this with one another. Be the light of the world. Be my representation to everyone that exists from that moment on until I return. Do as I did. Love them by knowing them. Church, we are called to be a community that knows and strives hard after knowing who God is, but not ending there. But it's the beginning of which then we live and know one another and love one another. And we do that, it's together. 
We do that with our togetherness, with our proximity to one another, our proximity to God. But we also do that as we long to know one another, as the way that we do that, the way that I want to give you a handhold for us as a church, the way that we do that together is to get to know somebody so that you might, in order to love them, is to learn to hold one another's story. We need to learn how to hold one another's story. Like every day, like we just read it, we are holding the story of God. We are holding David's story in his love for his Savior, for his love for his God, in the midst of all the baggage that he has, that we need to learn to love and know one another by holding each other's story. And what that means is you have to be vulnerable, right? You have to be vulnerable with your story, that you don't just hold it so close to the chest that you have to come in here with some, like, shiny veneer outside because you're worried if that thing starts to crack and to see the inside of who you are, that we'll be like, ooh, I don't like that. Also, it means, like, being able to hold one another's story means I trust you. I don't have full trust in you right now, but as I allow you to hold my story, I begin to build up that trust in one another, that you will hold my story, not to weaponize it to use against me whenever you need to, but you'll learn to pray for me. That in seasons where I need you closer and in proximity, you will learn to walk with me as you hold my story. Holding our story isn't just telling it once and then going away. Holding your story means being in consistent proximity where you don't just hear about it post the event, but you know it as it currently is happening. Like the disciples walked with Jesus and heard their, his story not after he had done all those things. Like sometimes I like think about that, story and it's just some things are so simple and I forget all about it. God, Jesus allowed the disciples to hold his story in the midst of it unfolding. What would it look like for us, church, if we, if we did that? If we allowed people to walk with us in the midst of our unfolding story instead of writing a letter and saying, here, this is what happened. And we said, instead of we say, walk hand in hand with me as it is happening. This is how you know intimate knowledge. It's not intimate knowledge of the past, but intimate knowledge of the present. And if we're going to be vulnerable as a leadership, we talked about this as pastor, it has to start with us. And I want to end with this, this part of being vulnerable so that you know and hold my story. I'm not up here just saying like, hey, you need to hold one another's story, and then I'm like, see you later. (laughs) We need to know one another's story. You need to know my story. And my story, the little part of it, is that I've had a pretty good run of health um, up my life. I was never, I was like sick once a year with a minor cold, never, like, that was it. And that was my life. Like, I didn't know sickness very well. I didn't have the flu until I was like 26, and then I got the man flu, right? Anybody else know that? I was like, ugh, I can't do anything, babe. Um, please just watch after me. But that was it. I was pretty healthy until 2019. 2019, I got four rounds of strep throat, back to back to back to back. And then I went that summer to Mexico, and I got shingles. 
in a foreign country, got shingles. And then I came back, and that fall I started had been developing an intestinal pain and cramping that often left, left me up overnight in just the fetal position because it hurt so much. And it developed a thing called SIBO, where it's bacterial overgrowth in places that it shouldn't go. And it took me a year to find out, a year and a half to find out what was going on with that. And then 2020 happened, right? And then we all got this like crazy, like unknown virus that has entered into the world. And my life, my health fractured in 2019. And when my health fractured in 2019, going into 2020, all I could think about was anxiety. And our family had a COVID scare um, in the summer of 2020. We were planning on, um, I forget what we were doing, but we just went and we got the kids tested uh, and got me tested. And Ellie and I both came back positive. We ended up, fast forward, it ended up becoming a false positive. But I remember going back after the test, after getting a second test and waiting for that that result, is that um, as Ellie and I were quarantined away from the family, all I could do is I said, Ellie, go play. And all I had to do is started walking our little block in circles. And walking the block. And after my second circle, my daughter noticed it. And she ran over with me and she said, Daddy, I'll walk with you. She's like, how, how far are we walking? I said, I don't know. Will you just walk with me? And so we walked around. And I began to tell her, like, the story of 2019 and how she saw her daddy sick a lot. And then I saw 2020 and she was like, why are you so worried? And it's like, I have anxiety around this. Let me tell you a story of where that developed. Your grandpa died when he was 56 of cancer. And as we're walking around, she's like, Daddy, what is that story about? I was like, I believe that I have an expiration date that's 56. And your daddy's getting closer and closer to it. And every moment after that, she just does this little thing, holding a hand, and she started patting my hand. Daddy, you're okay. You've got a lot of years left. And I was like, thanks, babe. <laughs> Right? I was like, you can't do math yet. Let's do subtraction. That's not a lot of time left. But I realized, like, at that moment that, that something had fractured in me years earlier, in 2009, 10 years before that, that finally came to a head in 2019 when my own health fractured, that I believed I had a God who had an expiration date on me that was a lot earlier than I ever wanted it to be. And so every moment after that, every little illness, every other cold, every other like possible exposure to COVID that I began to be insular and thinking about, man, what is going to happen? Can I tell you how dark it went? That I started to plan my own funeral so that my wife didn't have to. Because I realized what the pain it was to plan my father's funeral at an early age when we weren't ready for it. So even today, when weird things start to happen in my body, I wonder, is that it? Is this the cancer growing in me for a decade that I haven't known about? Is this the thing that's going to get me? My experience with actually finally this last year, positive with COVID, even after the vaccines, I was like, is this the end for me? Is it going to be earlier? Is my kids going to be left here all alone without me? After 38 years, and only eight years and all my kids, this is my story that I believe that, should I date myself? 
in, in 18 years. I'm going to be gone. And as much as, as people have said that I would love to celebrate another, I would love to celebrate our 75th anniversary, my belief is I'm not going to be here for it. That's the deep-rootedness of my story. It's one of the reasons why, like, over the last couple of years, we said we weren't going to have fun in every day. We were going to live life to the fullest because I believe my time here is short. I believed a lie like Kyle was saying. And I need you, church, to hold my story, to walk with me, that when I get sick, you encourage me. Hey, Austin, don't believe the lie. And even if it is something bad, we will walk with you through it. This is us, the church. This is how we love one another. We hold each other's story, past, present, and possible future, because we are intimately loved by a God who knows us, and because he knows us so well, and isn't afraid of our baggage, she isn't afraid of our unrealized expectations of him, of this life, that he sees you, he knows you, he still loves you. And out of that, we learn to then love one another by knowing them intimately, by being together with them. This church is who we're about. We are a church that's together that intimately knows one another. As we strive to know God, to know one another, we will then learn how to love God and love one another. Will you pray with me? God, I don't know everybody's story here. But you do. You know the things that we don't want to tell. That if we let that forth, that we feel like we will be less than judged, not welcomed in, or feel like a project which needs to be rehabilitated. God, I ask that you would just come for any of us that are feeling the conviction that we know a lot about you. God, we show up to church. We show up to our groups. We show up in other places of life. We show up to our Bible reading. We know a lot about you. But God, if anybody feels like they don't know you, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you speak the truth that they are known and they are loved. God, and as a challenge to our community, in your knowingness of us, would you allow us to love and know one another? Would you allow us to build the trust it takes to hold one another's story? God, it is not easy. But it's the only way. It's the only way. It's the way that you walked and lived. You knew your disciples and you loved them. So God, we walk in the same path as our Savior did. So God, give us the courage to take the step that we need to with you and with one another. We ask this in your name. Amen.